0: Hey, welcome back to this one's a doozy. I'm Kevin and I'm Haley and we talk about stories of mystery true crime and folklore of the unusual unsettling and oftentimes unsavory goings on of our world today yesterday and long ago. Yeah, that's right. That's what we do. That's what we do.
1: That's what we're doing right now. Episode well,
0: we're about to episode number dozen. 12. Oh, yeah, 12.
1: We're number 12. Yeah, it's pretty cool.
0: That's serious business. We've done uh, this four, what would that make that? Almost four full months.
1: We started in June. How long ago was June?
0: <laughs> no.
1: Yeah, we did. The week before my birthday. Oh,
0: I guess we did have a couple of episodes that came out like really close together. Yeah. So. We'll couple of two-parters.
1: It's been or the bonus that we did for episode two. True. Yep.
0: True. We really, we really went, went all in on episode two. All in. And uh, here we are. Ten episodes later. Still all in.
1: Look at you doing math at this time.
0: I know. At this time of night. What a what a time of night to be doing arithmetic.
1: Yeah. So how well, was your day?
0: Uh, it was good.
1: It was good. a good day? Yeah.
0: I'm a little tired, but but it was a good day overall.
1: You worked hard?
0: I worked very hard. Yeah. Had a lot of important meetings and such. How about yeah. you?
1: Mine was good. We Our littlest um, is very adventurous as you know he likes know. to get into anything and everything he can get his little baby hands on and today he broke into the fridge we have to lock the fridge because he'll just break <laughs> in i forgot to lock it he broke in and opened the blueberries and dumped them out on the floor and just oh, ate them so no. happily on <laughs> the floor I Said, all right come here buddy let's pick up the blueberries and he said nope <laughs> so I said, no thanks I'll just eat them and then he did it again later with the grapes nice so a lot of that kind of stuff today yeah but I got this story done and I mostly proofread it Ooh, look at you so I'm making self-improvement steps yeah so there's progress there that's progress not mad about it
0: working mom over there
1: yeah look at me go
0: look at you go well go. what are you uh what are you drinking over there
1: I have no idea why I chose this, but I chose Cherry Coke. Oh, cher- yeah. I don't think I've ever
0: seen you drink Cherry Coke. Just, it sounded good. And yeah. I was like, mmm. Is it good? It is. It's great. It's hitting the spot. It's hitting the spot. Nice. Look at you. 100%. What are you drinking? I am drinking the smallest can of Dr. Pepper I've it's ever so seen in my life. <laughs> so tiny and
1: 7. cute. So tiny and
0: cute. 7.5 ounces. <laughs> Fluid ounces.
1: May I have one Dr. Pepper, brother? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, we'll see. We'll see how long it lasts me. I might, uh, I might be done with it before we are even out of the intro.
1: Yep, probably.
0: <laughs> well, my love, what have you got for us today for a, a feel-good fact?
1: The feel-good fact today. It's a little different direction than okay. one, ones I've done in the past, but it's, I still like it. So, yeah. as most of us know, blood donation is a crucial element in the medical field, and many lives are saved every day thanks to blood donation. Sweden recognizes this and actually sends text messages to blood donors to alert them when their blood donation is used to save a life. Oh, which I really love. That is nice. Yeah, that's like a human psychology hack where yeah. it's like going to encourage people to continue yeah. to donate and to know, you know, I saved a life today. Yeah. I do think I, I like even,
0: that. Yeah. I've given blood a few times and I I I haven't since since pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. So Obviously, oh, uh, maybe I did once post pandemic, but I like you did it's once so foggy. Um, but I think, I think at one point, I remember receiving messages about when my blood donation was at a hospital. That's cool. Not necessarily when it was used, but when it was delivered to a hospital. But now it's been so long, and I haven't received one that I feel like maybe maybe I just made that up in my head.
1: I don't know. Maybe you just wish that you I knew. Just,
0: I just wish I I just want to know if my blood is helping somebody. It is. Yeah. I hope so. I hope somewhere so too. out there. So
1: give blood if you can. I have a few blood facts that are feel good related.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is a feel good fact. Knowing knowing that what you did could have saved somebody is mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. Or even just helped a little bit.
1: Yeah. Totally. Yeah. There's no heavy metal screaming parrots in today's feel good fact. That's okay. But
0: still. But there is blood, which is pretty heavy metal, so.
1: Yeah, we're staying true to ourselves over here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I guess uh, it's pretty metal.
1: (laughs) Pretty metal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, what do you have for us today?
1: Okay, so this week I thought we should cover a missing persons case. We haven't done that yet. So there are roughly 600,000 people that go missing in the United States every year. Fortunately, well,
0: you're just bringing us right down from that feel-good fact. I am, just sorry, right out of the gate.
1: But fortunately, usually many missing persons cases are pretty quickly solved. Somewhere around 485,000 missing persons are recovered, according to the National Missing and Unidentified Persons Database. Oh wow! Sadly, though, there are many that go unsolved for long periods of time, hmm. and today is one of those cases. Oh no! Today, I'm going to tell you about the disappearance of Tara Calico. Okay. Hold on tight, Kev, because this one is a doozy. You ready?
0: I am ready. Ready to be sad. Yeah. Make me sad.
1: You got it. On Tuesday, September 20th, 1988, 19-year-old Tara Calico was getting ready to go on her daily 36-mile bike ride in Bellin, New Mexico, along New Mexico State Road 47. Her mother, Patty Dole, would often join her on her bike rides, but had recently stopped joining in regularly. She'd been feeling uneasy, almost like someone had been following them, Hmm. so she decided not to go. Tara, being adventurous, determined, and athletic, did not let this deter her from continuing on her daily bike rides, though. Her mom really didn't love this, and she encouraged Tara to at least carry mace, just in case some weirdo was following her, but Tara didn't want to do that. So, around 9 a.m. that morning, Tara laid out her clothes for the day and her school books on her bed. She was a sophomore at the University of New Mexico, and from what I could find, she was sort of like a creature of habit, Hmm. like thriving in routine and order. So she got dressed for her bike ride, sporting a white t-shirt reading First National Bank of Bellin," white shorts with green stripes, white ankle socks, and white and turquoise avia sneakers. Hmm. She also wore a gold butterfly ring with a diamond insert, a gold amethyst ring, and half-inch gold hoop earrings. She also had her Walkman with her as usual, which I thought was pretty cool. Like I yeah. uh, relate. Yeah the 80s version of AirPods. (laughs) So Tara's bike had a flat tire, so she actually was riding her mother's bike that day, which was a 10-speed pink Huffy bike with yellow control cables and sidewalls, which is pretty specific looking. (laughs) yeah. Shortly before leaving for her bike ride, she told Patty that if she wasn't home by noon, that she would want her mom to come pick her up from her bike route because she had plans to meet up with her then-boyfriend to play tennis at 12.30 before her classes were set to begin at 3.30. (laughs) Hmm. So her mom agreed and off Tara went. A few minutes after 12 p.m., Patty noticed that Tara had not yet returned, so she headed out to go pick her up just like she promised she would. She drove up and down the route that Tara always took, which ran alongside a railroad track about 18 miles from where Tara lived with her mom and stepdad. So basically when she would reach like the 17 to 18 mile mark, she would turn around and head back home, which made her trip somewhere between 35 and 36 miles. Hmm. So Patty would be very familiar with this route since Tara never deviated from it. So when Patty went up and down Tara's usual route and didn't see her, she was immediately worried, obviously. Hmm. So she drove to the local hospital to see if maybe Tara had gotten in some sort of accident that she may have needed medical attention for, but she wasn't there either. Patty then sort of rallied the troops. She got a hold of a few of Tara's friends and her husband, who was Tara's stepdad. um, His name was John Dole, to join in to try and see if they could all maybe, like, divide and conquer if they broaden the search as a group Mm -hmm. so that they could find Tara. After this search turned up nothing, they called the Valencia County Sheriff's Department to report her missing. And by the next day, September 21st, 1988, a full-scale search was launched. Wow. Yes. So the first thing that was discovered by searchers was a set of bicycle tracks on the west side of Route 47, roughly four miles from the Rio communities. Shortly from where those tracks were found was a set of tire tracks and what appeared to have been fresh oil slick, possibly from a truck or some other large vehicle. About 100 yards away from that was what they believed to be parts of a smashed Walkman and mm-hmm. a Boston cassette tape, which Tara... Loved Boston. Aww. It was her cassette tape. Yeah, In that same area, they found footprints that look like they may have been in some sort of scuffle, as well as some empty old Milwaukee beer cans sort of like strewn about. Mm. So it's odd that all these things were found in the same area, if nothing else. Right. Over the course of the next couple of days, search efforts were doubled. So by the 24th of September, the rest of the broken Walkman was found near the entrance of the John F. Kennedy Campground at the base of the Manzano Mountains, which is like a remote area about 20 miles from where the searchers had found the tire tracks and the bike tracks and the broken bits of what they thought was her Walkman and all that stuff. Yeah. So this was an important lead for sure. Initially, investigators believed that the Walkman and the other things they'd found belonging to Tara were pretty indicative that she'd been kidnapped Mm. and that the items that they'd recovered were just sort of dropped along the way, maybe falling out of Tara's hands if she was physically attacked, you know, like dropped accidentally in the heat of a struggle. Right. Patty agreed to an extent, but she made the point that Tara was super smart and she was excellent at thinking on her feet. And so if she had been in some sort of danger, these things could have been left purposely by Tara as a sort of breadcrumb trail for people who would come looking for her. Yeah. Which from what I've learned about Tara, that sounds pretty likely. Wow. Yeah. She would do something like that. Investigators had also conducted interviews with people close to Tara to try and see if they could determine if anyone would have a motive to harm her or if Tara had maybe run away even. They Mm. started with her mom and stepdad, obviously, who gave police full access to Tara's room and were open books themselves, answering any and all of the questions. Police quickly ruled out that Tara had run away, given the fact that her textbooks and clothes that she'd laid out for the day hadn't been taken, and that there was really no evidence whatsoever that she would run away to begin with. Right. The interviews with everyone else close to Tara revealed that she was exactly as she appeared to be, well-loved, Loyal, hardworking, and an unlikely target for anyone around her to want to cause her harm. Like, everybody loved her. Mm. So I believe it was during these interviews that Patty informed police that she had had that weird feeling about being followed. Hence her decision to no longer go on the bike rides and urging Tara to do the same. Yeah. They also used this time to eliminate evidence that was not relevant to the case, such as a water bottle that was discovered near the area of the bike and tire tracks, And they also ruled out a group of men that they found drinking beer in the back of a truck. These men all had solid alibis that could be corroborated, and they were drinking Budweiser, not Mm, Old Milwaukee. So, So it was at this point that they were able to gather statements from multiple people who remembered seeing Tara on the day that she went missing. So at 11.30 a.m. on the 20th, so the day she went missing, two ranch hands saw Tara on the pink bike riding northbound towards her home on Route 47, which checks out as far as the timeline goes. Hmm. Around 11.45 a.m., three men who were driving home from a hunting trip heading southbound on Route 47 also saw Tara on her bike. Except this time, they had an additional and more chilling detail to share. They all said that they saw Tara on her bike and that there was a white pickup truck trailing very closely behind her. They all pointed out that Tara had had her headphones on since she was listening to music on her Walkman. And it seemed like she didn't notice the truck behind her. A few minutes after this, another vehicle heading southbound on Route 47, less than five miles from the Rio communities, noticed Tara on her bike. And they also saw the white truck behind her as well. Oh, man. Yes. This person actually claims that they saw multiple people in the white truck and not just one lone driver. Oh. This is the last known sighting of Tara Calico. Oh Yeah. It's important to include that all of the people who had seen Tara and the truck that was pursuing her gave a consistent description of the truck as well. They guessed it was a 1950s light gray or white pickup truck with a shell over the bed of the truck. The description of the truck was released to the public in hopes that someone might have recognized the description, but unfortunately, this produced no leads. Right. The weekend following Tara's disappearance, 300 air and land searches were dispatched near the Manzano Mountains and the river in that same area where the Walkman had been found. This turned up nothing. And by Tuesday, September 27th, they pulled out of the area. The next several weeks and months, there would be several more searches conducted throughout that region of New Mexico. Pleas would be made to the public for any and all information that could potentially help them mm-hmm. locate Tara. So they were exhausting whatever yeah. resources that they could. In this time, they managed to connect with seven people who had claimed to have seen Tara on the day of her final bike ride, five of which claiming they had also seen the truck following her. Mm. It's interesting to note that four of the witnesses agreed to undergo hypnosis in hopes of being able to pull some extra details from their subconscious that, that maybe yeah. maybe they forgot about or maybe they didn't like take a full note of when they initially saw her, right. but this didn't lead to anything either. Mm. On October 25th, 1988, the lead investigator on the case, Sheriff Lawrence Romero, issued a public statement where he informed everyone that the main suspects in the case were two white males, based off of the testimony given by the witnesses who had seen Tara and the truck the month before. The driver mm. of the truck was believed to have been somewhere between 35 and 45 years of age, somewhere between five foot nine and 6' tall, weighing roughly 200 pounds with red hair. And it's believed that he had noticeable wrinkles between his eyes and temples. Mm. I didn't see anything about a description of the passenger in the truck, but the statement made by Romero included a more detailed description of the truck. It's believed to have been a 1950s or 1960s Ford truck, gray or white in color, with a homemade camper shell over the bed of the truck. It had large tires with chrome hubcaps and the Ford emblem in red letters. Hmm. The license plate was believed to have started with the letters WBY or WBZ and ending with a number six. So this case had begun to pick up steam in the area, and a lot of people were becoming invested in this story. People just wanted to see Tara brought home safely. And so literal hundreds of calls were made to police with information and potential leads. By all accounts, it sounds like police were pretty thorough at this point in following up on the leads. They conducted several interviews, but no arrests were made and they were no closer in figuring out what had happened to Tara. So the case went cold for a good while on June 15th, 1989. Almost a year since Tara's disappearance, all the way in Port St. Joe, Florida, roughly 1,200 miles away from Bella, New Mexico, a woman came forward to police with a super strange find. She'd been shopping at a convenience store called the Junior Food Store that was described as being pretty much exclusively locally shopped. Hmm. So when she noticed a dirty white Toyota van in the parking lot near the front of the store, it stood out to her because she didn't recognize the vehicle. Yeah. She made a mental note of that and went into the store to do her shopping. When she came out, the van was gone, but there was something on the ground where the van had been parked. She picked up the item from the ground and discovered a Polaroid photo. In this photo were what appeared to have been two children, a boy and a girl, bound and gagged with duct tape over their mouths and somber, almost fearful expressions in their eyes in what appeared to have been inside the back of a van. Isn't that horrifying? That is
0: absolutely horrifying. The picture
1: is so horrifying.
0: Oh man.
1: Yeah. So alarm bells went off immediately after she saw the photo so she called police and turned the photo over to them. Yeah. She also gave a description to the police saying that she thought she got a quick look at the driver when she saw him pulling the van away as she was still shopping. Her best recollection was that it was a man in his 30s with a mustache. Mm -hmm. Doesn't really narrow it down but it's I guess something. Especially in the late 80s. I know. Yeah. So the news about the photo spread in the local media, and quickly, it became a national story. Hmm. People had guesses of all kinds as to who the two kids in the photo were, until one family reached out because they believed that the young boy in the photo may have been their missing son. Oh. Which is so crushing. I can't even imagine that. If you could see this photo, and then imagine how it would feel if you genuinely believe that that was your child bound and gagged in that photo. I don't even know how I would feel like the worst feeling ever. So anyways, the family was the Henley family. They said that their son, Michael Henley disappeared in New Mexico when he was nine years old, a little over a year ago in April of
0: 1988.
1: Oh, no. Oh. So because of this, the photo began circulating pretty regularly around New Mexico. Mm -hmm. So when one of Patty's friends saw it, she called her up and told her that she should look into it because the girl in the photo looks extremely similar to Tara.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Patty saw the photo and agreed, holy crap, that looks just like my daughter. Yeah. So she made her way to Florida to get a better look and to talk about the photo with police. And after seeing the photo in person, she doubled down that the girl in the photo looked very much like her daughter. And not only that, but the girl in the photo had a scar on her leg that appeared to be an exact match to a scar that Tara had in the exact same spot.
0: Mm, Okay, yeah. So
1: in the photo, you can also see next to the girl a book called My Sweet Adrena by V.C. Andrews, which is one of Tara's most favorite books. They were also able to make out what looked to be a phone number. Hmm. I didn't see that in the picture, but I'm only seeing, like, scans of it, I suppose. Right, right. But they did work to try and identify the numbers. They, they weren't really very clear, and so after some time, they narrowed it down to 300 possibilities. 57 of them were registered phone numbers, but mm-hmm. it never ended up leading anywhere. One helpful clue, though, was that they were able to determine that the film used for this specific Polaroid photo was manufactured in May of 1989 or after— Hmm. So they were able to determine that the photo was somewhat recent. Yeah. Like the fo- that that specific film did not exist prior to May yeah. 1989. Wow. Helpful.
0: That's That's super helpful. Well, and I guess that would be, I mean, after a year, you're kind of at the point where you're like, obviously no parent would ever give up on finding their child. Right. But after a year, you're kind of going like, this is like real and they're probably never coming home mm-hmm. so finding something like this would i guess it, it would be a mixture of both lifted spirits of like oh they're still alive Maybe she's they're, still out we, there we can, we can still find, find her. her yeah and also absolute gloom because what has they, happened
1: to my poor baby right to go yeah.
0: 1200 1200
1: yeah i've, 1, I've seen 1200 and i've seen 2000s but either way far away
0: yeah all the way across the country yeah
1: Wow. Crazy. So Patty was on it, and she kept the pressure on the police. She urged them to take the photo into the community to ask people if anyone had seen the kids in the photo. A group of people who were questioned said that they had seen the girl on the beach at one point with multiple Caucasian men who were, like, ordering her around. She Mm. was apparently quiet and compliant, and none of those people could remember seeing the boy with the group. So for a few months, that was all the information that they could really gather. On September 20th, 1989, exactly one year after Tara's disappearance, Unsolved Mysteries aired an episode covering her disappearance and this sort of reinvigorated public interest in the case Mm. and in the Polaroid. Yeah. A few months later, a devastating discovery was made. In the Zuni Mountains in northwestern New Mexico, human remains were found that were determined as belonging to the missing nine-year-old that was believed to have been the boy in the photo, Michael Henley. So... This was a tough find for a lot of reasons, because since his body was found in New Mexico, there was no way that he was the boy in the photo, meaning the likelihood of Tara being the girl may have also gone down, too, potentially. Right. right. Just considering that the working theory was that both of the people in the photo went missing from the same state, mm-hmm. only months apart, the theory does kind of become less plausible. Right. And with the film not being manufactured— At the time of Michael Henley's passing, there's just no way that it was him in the photo. Right. So it was determined that little Michael had wandered off and gotten lost and passed away from exposure. Mm. Which is so awful and just miserable. Oh, poor baby. So in a sense, it's great that they did find his remains so his family could have closure. But it's just sad. I mean, no matter how you look at it, like you get the closure, but it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's worse, like not knowing or knowing for certain. Oh, I think
0: not knowing would be way worse. I, th- I think
1: that too. But then I just think of like how crushing it would be to know what happened to them. Yeah. You know, uh, I just really feel for his poor parents. But Patty still believed that the girl in the photo was Tara and so did many investigators. Hmm. So much so that multiple agencies would examine the photo, including the FBI and Scotland Yard. Oh, wow. Yeah. The FBI's findings were inconclusive. Scotland Yard believed the photo was of Tara and other agencies had varying answers and conclusions mm-hmm. as well. So they really don't have anything like totally right. conclusive right. on the photo. So
0: it sounds like, and I haven't seen the photo, but it sounds like there's enough discrepancy between any other photos that were probably better quality and more like uh, clear shots Right. Of her and this photo.
1: Well, it's tough because she's got like a big block of duct tape around her mouth. So it's obscuring part of her face. Right. And she's like the way that she looks in the photo, she's kind of leaning back. Mm -hmm. And so the lighting over her face isn't the best. Like you can still pretty clearly see the face, but like it is a little bit obscured. Right. So it's just, it's tricky. Right. You're limited
0: in what you can see. If there would have been two, three, four pictures, you'd probably be able to figure out a whole lot more.
1: Right. Different angles or whatever. Mm -hmm. So over the course of the next year, two more mysterious Polaroids would appear featuring a woman bound and gagged with tape over her mouth, very similar to the one found in Port St. Joe, Florida. But the woman in these photos was not the same as the one in the first photo.
0: Mm.
1: I'm not sure how they determined this, but many investigators believe that all three photos involved Tara in some way, despite none of the young women in the images being confirmed to be Tara. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like a lot of people think somehow she's connected to this. Right. So interesting. I've seen that noted in several places. I'm like, how? Yeah. <laughs> Can you elaborate a little bit on why you think that? So some people believe that at least one of these photos is a hoax. Mm. There is that. That's like in super poor taste, if that's if that's yes. the case. Yeah. Super poor taste. I do not appreciate that. But there's been a ton of debate at every level regarding the photos from major agencies all the way down to like armchair detectives. Either way, they're pretty disturbing. I yeah. can, I'll can show you all of them. I'll probably post at least the initial, like the first one on the Instagram. So for many years, the case went cold. Tara's family was forced to sort of move forward without her. Which like, how can you? Right. When you don't know what happened to her, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My heart hurts so much for the loved ones of missing persons. We were just talking about it, but like the not knowing
0: mm-hmm.
1: would be so hard, like so unbelievably hard because you have like half of your heart that's set that they're going to come back. Right. And the other half of your heart that has to accept that they might not. And so operating in that like middle ground, yeah. I can't wrap my mind around how, how you can do it. Like I have a, so much respect for people that do. Right. I just admire how they, they handled themselves this whole time. Because they're not like, sometimes you see these cases and the people are being very unreasonable because they, they want answers. Like, I don't blame them for that, Mm -hmm. but they're like, everything is a clue, you know? Right. And it's not actually like helpful. And then in other cases, you get people that are so devastated, understandably, that they like withdraw
0: Mm -hmm. and. And they're not helpful.
1: And then they're not helpful there either. And so I, I do understand both responses. They make a lot of sense. Right. But I feel like there was like a a real even killed nature to how her family handled it, yeah, like, but they also were persistent. so yeah, this one makes me really sad.
0: I feel like these families they've got to they've got to live this life of probably not, but hopefully, yeah, you know, like yeah. that's kind of the the i mean especially at this point, we're what are we? Well, I'm about years. to tell
1: you, I'm um, yeah, we're, we're at 36, almost 36 years now. Yeah. In September.
0: Yeah. And she was 20. She was she 19. Missing. 19. She went missing. Mm hmm. Oh man.
1: Yeah. That's very hard, but yeah. Other cases have been solved. It's true. You know, there's it's some true. crazy stories. You just never know. Yeah. In September of 1998, 10 years after Tara's disappearance, her family had her declared legally deceased. In 2002, Tara's biological father, David Calico, passed away without ever knowing what happened to his daughter. Patty and the rest of her family moved down to Florida in 2003, but sadly, Patty Dole passed away in 2006, also never receiving any closure on the disappearance of her daughter. Yeah. So crushing. Yeah. So her stepdad, John, kept the hope alive that Tara would be found at some point. And I read that he said about Patty that she, it was something, like it was like a direct quote from either a statement he made or something he wrote that it was, he said something like, she literally never gave up till her last breath. Like yeah. she always held on to hope. Yeah. So it's really sad. It was really sad. 10 years later, in September of 2008, Sheriff Renee Rivera, who was the sheriff in Valencia County at the time and had been assigned as lead investigator on Tara's case since 1996, came forward, and he said that he believed that he knew what had happened to Tara. He claimed that she was not kidnapped, nor was she the girl in the Polaroid. He claimed that two unnamed informants came forward and said that four teenage boys who Tara knew from school were messing around, tailing her, maybe trying to scare her or something, and accidentally hit her with their truck. When they got out and saw she was still alive, he believed they killed her in a panic and dumped her body and her bike in an undisclosed location to cover up the incident. Yeah. He also alleged that the boys didn't act alone, and that their parents or other adults may have also helped their efforts to cover up what had happened. He claimed that he knew the names of the boys, but since he didn't have a location on the body, he couldn't arrest them or reveal their names to the public. So immediately after making this statement, many people had pretty strong reactions like, one way or the other. right? Some were like, heck yeah, give us the name of the kids and we'll solve this thing. Others didn't buy it and were convinced that Tara was the girl in the Polaroid and that maybe she'd been like systematically trafficked mm-hmm. or that her kidnappers were just having like a heyday sort of dangling both her identity and her freedom in front of her in the public. Right. Uh, John Dole was upset about the claim that Rivera made because he made it decently clear that they weren't planning on following up in any way. So, like, why make this statement? Right. Why give us any of this if you're not going to follow up on it? Right. So I agree with him on that. He also made the point that there was enough circumstantial evidence that he could still arrest these boys and continue on with the investigation. Right. Right. I completely agree, but if, in 2000, in two thousand eleven, Rivera quietly left his position and never made an arrest. So that's nice.
0: That's such an odd thing to make a like make a grandstand statement about.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't get why.
0: why why even say something. Right. Like, so you feel better about not doing anything. Like, right. That's very.
1: If he very made the odd. statement in hopes that like maybe there would be enough people. On board Mm -hmm. that would push it that maybe other like others in the department might say, "Okay, fine, we'll look into this more like maybe he was hoping that I also saw in a couple different places that some people believe that he was actually involved some like in the cover up, which is like, well, why would he then implicate himself unnecessarily out of the blue and right, you know, a long time after.
0: Right. Unless he was trying to do some kind of a weird like conscience cleansing (laughs) kind of thing. He's just like, I'm just going to say this so that I feel better, but then not actually do anything about it. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that. There's
1: really no making sense of that specific move. I don't
0: really get it. Did he end up writing any books or anything that not that I could find? So that's just a weird random thing that I feel like is only upsetting to people, not actually helpful.
1: Right. So interestingly enough though, in 2013, A deathbed confession would be made to police in Valencia County that nobody was expecting. According to police reports, a man named Henry Brown, who was terminally ill, claimed that he knew what happened to Tara Calico and that he wanted to get it off his chest before he passed away from his illness. Henry claimed that shortly after Tara's disappearance, he'd been hanging out with a friend who was also a classmate of Tara's, Mm -hmm. a man named Lawrence Romero Jr. He said that he... Lawrence and their other friend, David Silva, were hanging out at Lawrence's home drinking when he noticed something wrapped in a blue tarp on the basement floor. He said it appeared to have been a small adult's body and that the tarp served as a sort of like makeshift grave almost. Mm. When he asked Lawrence what the heck is that, he said that a drunk Lawrence said that the body belonged to Tara Calico. He then said that Lawrence laid out exactly what had happened. So I'm going to give a content warning here. I'm going to be mentioning sexual assault and I'll briefly be describing a murder and there will also be a brief mention of suicide. So I want to give everyone a chance to skip over that if you don't want any of those details. Mm -hmm. So according to Henry, this is what Lawrence said had happened. Lawrence, Dave Silva and their friend Leroy Chavez and one other boy who I couldn't find a name for, but he's been described as a tall redhead. Hmm. were all driving around in a white pickup truck when they spotted Tara on her bike. They followed her and tried to get her attention, but she didn't notice them. She Those had headphones, headphones in. Right. So they then struck her with the truck, knocking her off of the bike. Accidentally or not, I'm not sure, sure. Sure. Instead of, you know, taking her to the hospital or home like a normal person, they decided to abduct her. They also grabbed her bike. They took her to a gravel pit where they each took turns sexually assaulting oh. poor Tara. They claimed that after the assault, she stood up and told them that she was going to report them and that they'd all go to jail for what they'd just done to her. This made Lawrence furious, so he had the other boys restrain her while he went and retrieved a knife from the truck, where he then stabbed Tara to death. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely gut-wrenching. Yeah. So horrifying. They disposed of her bike in a nearby junkyard, and they initially hid her body in some thick bushes nearby, but as the search was becoming, like, more involved and there was a heavier presence, they moved her body to the basement. They told Henry that if they told anyone what they just told him, that they'd kill him too. Henry claimed that after that conversation in the basement, he had reason to believe that Tara's body was thrown into a pond that was close to one of the boys' homes. Hmm. So, does the name Lawrence Romero sound familiar to you? Kind of. It should, because the initial lead investigator on this case was Lawrence Romero Sr. Oh. His dad. Henry claimed that not only did Lawrence Romero Sr. and the parents of the other boys join together to cover up the abduction, rape, and murder of Tara Calico, but Lawrence Romero Jr. had also written a full confession and destroyed it before killing himself. Oh, my gosh. Just a mess. Just such a mess. Such a mess. (sighs) Yeah, this one is really hard. Yeah. This one's so hard. If that's true, that is so hard.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's absolutely unreasonable. It is. And evil. Just
1: To snap like that. Yeah. I couldn't find a ton on Romero Jr.'s background. Mm -hmm. Like if he had any criminal past. I didn't look super hard into it. I probably should have, but I don't know. So, wildly enough, all three of the other men that were allegedly involved in the death of Tara Calico, as told by Henry Brown, all of them had passed away before 2013. So, they had nobody to corroborate this statement. And right. with Tara's body still not being found, the statement couldn't really be proven. Right. It's, it's something, it's, but it's, it's, not, yeah. it's not provable, you know.
0: It's a theory, basically. Mm-hmm.
1: So one big hang-up that a lot of people have about Henry's confession is that so many people believe that Tara is the girl in the Polaroid found in Florida. Sure. Her mom was completely convinced. I mean, and, and a lot of people across the country are convinced as well. But as of now, neither the boy or the girl in the photo have been identified. In 2013, a task force was formed by six federal and local agents, and so they reopened the case. Wow. Efforts have been made in the last nine years since the case has been reopened, but all we really have for now is pretty much what I've laid out for you. Yeah. This case is hugely important to many people that are both loved ones of Tara and complete strangers. She, I'll show you, I'll post a bunch of pictures on the Instagram. She's one of those, she's one of those faces where you feel like you know her Mm. and you hear about some of the stuff that she did and you're like, oh my gosh, we would have been besties. You know, she feels very like she could be anybody, you know? Her story has been featured on several programs like Unsolved Mysteries and 48 Hours, and a few years ago in 2017, Tara's sister, Michelle, and one of Tara's longtime friends, Melissa Escabel, started a podcast where they laid this out in full details, oh, like the, wow. the full, uh, every detail that they have, they've laid out in this podcast. They're working tirelessly to keep the public informed and to push for justice. Hmm. At the end of the day, they just want to bring her home and figure out what happened to her. Yeah. So the podcast is called The Tara Calico Investigation. It used to be available on all platforms, but it's been moved to Patreon. Oh, okay. So if you're someone who's moved by this case and you want to learn more, I urge you to just head over to Patreon and support what they're doing. Yeah. They're also working on a documentary, and they have a website that I'll share in the show notes as well so that you can look more into it. hmm There are several theories that people have, but the theory that she was kidnapped and the theory that she was murdered by local teens who knew her and then had their parents cover up for them. Those are the most popular. Right. In 2019, the FBI offered a $20,000 reward for any information that leads to the case being solved in September of 2021. It was announced by Lieutenant Joseph Rowland with the Valencia County Sheriff's Office that a search warrant that was relevant to the Tara Calico case had been conducted in Valencia County. Wow. Yeah. So just almost a year ago. Yeah. Unfortunately for us, the search warrant has been sealed and no details have been released to the public. So that's the latest news in regards to the Mm. case. So I really hope they found something that will help them solve the case. Right.
0: And they're Uh, just holding on to it until they can
1: fully reveal... Right. That if it's like, Hmm. depending on the nature of it being ongoing. Right. What, you know, if they shared it, it could potentially skew the investigation. This is a, like I said, hugely not popular. It's not the right word. A lot of people know about this case and care about it. Yes. Well known. It's very well known. So people just want to brought home regardless of what happened. I mean, they've done like, um, like age progression photos and, They've made a ton of efforts to figure it out. If she is still alive, this might be what she looks like, that kind right. of thing. Right. So as I like to do, I want to end this episode talking about who Tara was in life and like how her friends and family remember her best. Mm-hmm. By everything that I saw, Tara was working hard towards a degree in psychology, which loved ones had said would be the perfect job for her because of her uncanny ability to form deep, strong relationships with people. Hmm. Tara was extremely good at making legitimate connections and had no problems relating to her friends and peers. She had made several academic and athletic achievements in her high school years as well. Everyone who loves her describes her as fiercely independent and outgoing and that she was just like really sure of who she was and what she cared about and that she loved to explore. Mm. So she sounds like super cool and very compassionate and fun. So I just like to encourage everyone to approach these kinds of stories that get sort of like sensational just to remember that these are like real people. Yeah. The level of entertainment that some people get about theorizing Mm -hmm. about what could or couldn't be, I think can sometimes unintentionally kind of negate the humanity in stories like this. And so I just think that it's really obvious it's really obvious that this girl was, like, super, super, super well-loved. Yeah. Um. Just to approach it how you would want someone to approach it if it was your loved one, I guess, is my encouragement. Yeah. I watched a couple interviews given by, like, current law enforcement, people in the community, people close to Tara and her case. And it's so obvious that she's always in the hearts and minds of her community and even beyond her community. So... I just really want her to be found. So if yeah. you have any information, I'm going to link the FBI post that will connect you with her tip line. If you have any information. So that's what I have for you this week. Wow. Heavy. That a is a real heavy one.
0: Real heavy. And I feel like there's so much. Uh, it's a real heavy one. I feel like there's, there's multiple bummers that mm. come along with mm-hmm. this kind of a story. Right. Um, And I mean, all of the potential theories that you shared, uh, all give me even more deep bummers. Like, I'm just like, Mm -hmm. there's no reason why this would have had to happen. There's no reason why this would have had to happen. Mm -hmm. And, and and, yeah, it's just, uh, no, I'm just
1: sad. I know. I'm sorry. But it's an important
0: one. <laughs> it is. It is an important one. It's important for us to know that these kinds of things do happen mm-hmm. and to be mindful of how to stay safe and vigilant and mm-hmm. keep each other safe and pay if attention to details. If you see something, say something yeah. kind of thing.
1: Yeah. I am glad that people were able to give a little bit of like witness testimony, you know, when they had seen her. Mm-hmm. But multiple people could corroborate the truck and that yeah. like when they were making appeals to the public that people did come forward. Yeah. Sometimes you'll see in cases where there are eyewitness accounts I'm putting in air quotes um, that a lot of times they're just really random and yeah. they're not actually helpful and right. it's hard to sift through what might be true, what might not be true. Right. And so I'm thankful that in this one, they were able to get that mm-hmm. information. So Yeah.
0: It, it is interesting to think about the white truck.
1: Yeah, I think about that.
0: If it was driven around by some local high school kids, why why was it so hard for them to find?
1: Well, if it was the redheaded kid that I don't know what his name was.
0: Oh, because he was just like a random kid.
1: Yeah. He, he, I don't know if that one was also like a classmate. Yeah. But I couldn't find his name anywhere. All I could find that he was tall and redheaded. So if it belonged to him, he could have been someone visiting. Right. You know? I guess the investigators mm-hmm. know because Henry gave names yeah, um, to the best that he could, but like they weren't able to make connections with any of any of them right. because they'd all passed away. Right. Which like, what's the likelihood of that? Oh wow,
0: man. Yeah. That's really honestly kind of crazy and messed up. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, there's like, I'm conflicted because part of me wants that story to be true so that it can be like solved, s- solved and settled. And the other part of me is like that is not any better. It, I don't feel any better knowing that story versus her being trafficked.
1: I know. Both sound awful.
0: Both are terrible. Yeah. And and absolutely, like I said, absolutely unnecessary. Things that don't don't need to happen. Mm-hmm. And in the worst case of the that that story with the kids, um, you know, college students, whatever they are, however old they are, their parents helping only makes that story worse and makes me more angry. I know. If that's true. I know. And I I I just hope it I I hope it isn't for those reasons and I hope it is for other reasons. And it's very conflicting. I
1: just hope they find her. Like I know. Where is she? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a really hard one.
0: It's really, really sad. I would hope that's what that search warrant is about is because they have a pretty good idea and they just need to Mm -hmm. find her and yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. This one is also hard to like Actually wrap up, too, because the right when you have worked through one thought or feeling about it, you get a brand new one Mm -hmm. or like a second gust of wind behind the original feeling. And so Mm -hmm. you're back full circle because it's like so senseless regardless. Right. And like I saw some people say like that maybe they were just goofing around and she didn't hear the truck behind her and they accidentally bumped into her. Some said they straight up were trying to terrorize her. Yeah. You know, it it is also easy to kind of like when there's a lack of a certain detail Mm -hmm. to try and like fill them in yourself. Right. And, you know, once again, with no. If those boys did do that, there's no way that anybody will ever really know unless the parents come forward. Right. And say, yeah, this happened.
0: Right. Well, and if the if the boys are all deceased, Mm -hmm. I would imagine most, if not all, of the parents are also
1: deceased. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially, but if not, or like family members or anybody else who right. may have known about it. It's also the issue of like, I'm implicating myself yeah. and I'm smearing my son's legacy. Yeah. Well, and just like the nature of parents covering up their children's crimes, mm-hmm. like you're not actually protecting them.
0: Right. It actually makes it worse.
1: It makes it worse and it makes it darker. Mm-hmm. It kind of it widens and deepens the pain and the consequences mm-hmm. of those kinds of crimes and yeah it does not accomplish what i think a lot of people think it might that like oh we'll just bury this and it'll go away but it'll never go away right. so anyway i i am team finding tara calico right now
0: yeah i would hope so yeah well thank you so much for sharing that story
1: yeah, sorry. This it's as sad as it makes
0: us. And uh, for our listeners, thank you for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. Um, I think we are just unsavored. I'm mostly. all. I mean, yes, all, but I'm unsavored. I'm, the taste in my mouth is All of is the options very, are bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just don't like it, but if you have an opinion on whether or not this week's story was unusual, unsettling, or unsavory to you, you can let us know in the comments of a post. Um, You can respond, react, whatever, however however you feel. There's a lot of feelings, I think, to to react to this one. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, if you enjoy hearing this podcast, you can subscribe and leave a glowing five-star review. Mm. And uh, that would help other people to find this podcast as well. You can also follow us on all of our social media at this one is a doozy on Instagram and TikTok. And you can also follow us on Facebook. This one's a doozy podcast with the apostrophe in it. And uh, also, if you have a personal story or a recommendation, you can send that to us via email at um, this one is a doozy at gmail.com. And uh, we're coming up pretty close to some listener episode. Yes, we are.
1: I'm very excited about that.
0: That'll be really cool. I can't wait to hear about all that because I have have heard um, just like teeny tiny bits and pieces of you excited about Mm -hmm. sharing some of these stories. And I'm like here for it. So, yeah, I want to hear the suspense of it. Yes. I want to hear the fullness of it. I'm looking forward to that. And I think a lot of people will be as well.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, with that. We will see you next week for another doozy.
1: Thanks.